Farmers today are facing rising costs, volatile markets, and extreme weather. The Better Way to Farm podcast digs into strategies to help you take control of farm inputs and maximize profit so your farm can thrive for generations. Remember to take advantage of our free resources at abetterwaytofarm.com. Now, from America's Heartland, here's your host. Hey guys, Rod here. Merry Christmas from all of us at A Better Way to Farm. Today is day six. We're going to talk about sulfur. Our goal is to improve yields and increase profits every single day. And hopefully as we study these things and learn more about them, we can figure out how it is that we can make better decisions in our agronomy plans. As we talk about sulfur today, the first thing I want to talk about is what is it that it does? We'll hit this a couple times, but to start with, we know it's important for how we use our nitrogen, how we utilize it. And ideally, the carbon-nitrogen sulfur ratio would be somewhere in the neighborhood of one part sulfur, 10 parts nitrogen, 100 parts carbon. That one to 10 on nitrogen sulfur is a ratio that just kept coming up, 10 parts nitrogen, one part sulfur. It's an integral part of amino acids. It helps develop enzymes and vitamins. It really promotes nodule formation on legumes. It aids in seed production, that's yield, and it's necessary for chlorophyll formation. It's not one of the constituents, but it's very important to get it to work. If we don't have adequate sulfur, we don't get that. So as we launch off here, let's take a look at what some of the other people have to say. We'll talk about some of the things that we've just learned over the past few years as we've went about our business here of doing test plots and and working and studying. Coming out of the agronomy handbook from Midwest Labs. I've put several plugs in for that. I would encourage you to get it and read it. Sulfur is rapidly becoming the fourth major plant food nutrient for crop production. Guys, we've been talking about using sulfur for 25 years. This book is not new. I don't know. I tried to find what year it was published, but I can't. But I can tell you that it is not new. And Midwest Labs was saying this. We were saying this quite some time ago. And the fact of the matter is, it's really important to know that this sulfur has become almost the fourth major nutrient, okay, the fourth macronutrient. It rivals nitrogen and protein synthesis and phosphorus in uptake by crops. In other words, it's right up there of equal importance with those, and it takes about as much sulfur as it does phosphorus to grow a crop. The largest portion of the sulfur in the soil is contained in the soil organic matter. Sulfate becomes available to the plant through bacterial oxidation of organic matter, elemental sulfur, atmospheric sulfur compounds, and other reduced forms of sulfur. Guys, when we hang on to this stuff, it's one of the many reasons that organic matter is super, super important. We know that we have to have organic matter to hang on to things. It makes the soil have better structure. It lets us hold nutrients. It lets us hold water. Plants usually absorb sulfur in the sulfate ion, which is generally not retained in the soil to any great extent because the sulfates, being soluble, tend to move with the water. And they are readily leached out from the soil under conditions of high rainfall or irrigation. And this is particularly true in low-capacity or sandy-type soils, and it's even more important to keep reapplying. The ratio of nitrogen to sulfur in the plant tissue is a good, reliable indicator of the sulfur requirement. Sulfur deficiencies could show up in a buildup of non-protein nitrogen compounds or as nitrates in the plant tissue. If we have too many nitrates in the plant tissue, that's an indicator that we have inadequate sulfur uh, because this deficiency reduces the activity of the enzyme nitrate reductase in the plants. On the average, crops require one part sulfur to every 14 parts nitrogen, these guys are saying, 
However, legumes are one part sulfur to every 10 parts nitrogen. And we tend to gravitate towards that one to 10 everywhere because we've seen better yields coming out of that in that ratio in the plot work that we were doing. As we take a look at this, let's see what we can grab out of the fertilizer handbook put out by the Fertilizer Institute. These guys are really good and I get very excited about being able to read in here. This is another book that I highly recommend. You can only buy it used and it's on the internet. Just keep looking on Amazon. They show up from time to time. The main forms of sulfur in the soil are inorganic sulfates and sulfur inorganic matter. Because plant roots absorb sulfur as a sulfate ion, organic sulfur must be mineralized to the sulfate form to become available. Atmospheric sulfur dioxide has been a major source of sulfur for crops. Annual amounts ranging up to 25 pounds of acre may have been deposited through precipitation on land with heavier amounts near industrial centers where emissions of sulfur oxides were high from fuel burning installations. As these atmospheric emissions of sulfur dioxide are reduced by environmental controls, the sulfur need for crops must be supplied by fertilizer sources. Guys, we used to get it for free. It came in the form of acid rain and they convinced us acid rain was bad. And what happened? We no longer got boron for free, and we no longer got sulfur for free. And now we're going to have to provide both of them because both of them are negatively charged and will go out with the groundwater like nitrogen does. This individual here that wrote the Western Fertilizer Handbook, which came from the California Fertilizer Association, I really like this book too. They're talking about what to do for those of you who are fighting soils that are saline or alkali. There are some things here that they can talk about. If sufficient undissolved limestone, in other words, calcium carbonate, is present in soils that are alkali, add elemental sulfur, sulfuric acid, or other sulfate-forming amendments, and they will release soluble calcium to form gypsum, which will in turn replace the absorbed sodium. The result will be sodium sulfate that can be removed by leaching. They're talking about how it is that you're going to help these saline, these alkaline soils. But key number one is we're not looking at the pH, we're looking at the available calcium. And so we're going to have to have enough calcium in there. And then if we use the sulfur, and I much prefer the sulfate form, it takes quite a while for yellow elemental to break down. And so what do we want to do? We want to use the sulfate to get that breakdown as fast as we can. And if we have the adequate calcium, you will leach out some of that sodium because it will go out as sodium sulfate in the groundwater. And that, boys and girls, is your friend. That's how you take those tougher forms and make them work. Let's talk about the deficiencies. What do they look like? We want to make sure, again, visual deficiencies normally equal at least a 15, maybe more, <laughs> bushel loss. And we don't want to do that. So sulfur is a component of cysteine, and it's a constituent of protein. Sulfur also aids in the synthesis of oils. That's going to make this really important in some other crops. What do your symptoms look like? Well, your newer leaves turn yellowish green. Why is that? We know that nitrogen translocates really well, so it goes to the new growth. That's why nitrogen deficiencies show up in the old. However, when we look at sulfur, it doesn't translocate, so it has to be available throughout the growing season because it will get into the first part of the growth, and then as that plant grows on, we can get that yellowing in the top part of the plant. That's how we, one of the keys to sulfur. It won't be the intervenal striping like manganese. You can tell them apart because it'll just be a yellowing of the leaf. Also, it will make stems that are smaller in diameter, and they will be hard and woody. Although the roots will be fairly well developed, 
they are much smaller in diameter. When we give that up, it also cuts down on the ability to penetrate harder. So everything we talk about is how do we push roots, right? Guys, we want to get more roots, get those roots deeper, pull up more nutrients from down in at one foot, two foot, six foot down. And when we do that, we can make a significant difference in building our soils. As you guys know, Shreveford is one of my favorites. And as I look in here, what he has to say, Sulfur, again, is essential for the conversion of nitrogen into amino acids and the linkage of these amino acids into complete proteins. When sulfur is too low, nitrates accumulate in the plant tissue instead of forming amino acids and protein. Guys, I've said this about four times. But that's because I want to really drive it home. I want to make sure that we know if we have too many nitrates in there in our tissue, we probably are battling a low sulfur problem. Sulfur is not only necessary for the conversion of nitrogen into amino acids, but as a constituent of one of the two sulfur-bearing amino acids, cysteine and methanine. These two sulfur-bearing amino acids are essential to all animal life, and their presence determines the biological value of a protein. If we want to raise high-quality feed for ourselves, sulfur is our friend. An animal cannot live very long without these two sulfur-bearing amino acids. Alfalfa contains the amino acids, when this is grown in sulfur-deficient soils, it will be deficient in those amino acids, resulting in the lower biological value of the protein. Many plants produce proteins that contain neither of these two essential sulfur-bearing amino acids. And these plants have low biological protein value and must be supplemented when they are fed to animals. Sulfur is necessary for formation of chlorophyll and the rate of photosynthesis. Plants with enough sulfur will have an exceptionally dark green coloration that can be almost called a sulfur trademark. Sulfur is part of your defense mechanisms. Low sulfur will invite the invasion of insects and disease in your crops. Guys, it's one of those things that's going to help us prevent disease from coming in. And if there's anything we want to do this day and age with all of the things that we battle and all the chemicals that we have to buy, it's how is it that we're going to keep that crop growing and healthy so that we don't have to battle that near as hard. Going into Kinsey's book, and we'll see what he has to say. And guys, every night when I do these, I overlap because no one nutrient solutions are not solutions. The best you can hope for is masking. It's the example of the rusty car. You paint over the rust, but you didn't fix the problem. You just hit it. And when we start looking at these, these things tie in together. And so what we want to do is say, how are they going to improve? In this particular, he was just sharing a story here about the people who had raised their corn yields by 30 to 40 bushels once they started using sulfur and micronutrients. That's the only change that they made. When the soil test showed certain fertilizers they could cut back on, they saved the money there and they spent it on micronutrients and sulfur. Micronutrients only make the difference if everything else has been corrected. Guys, we do not believe in a one nutrient or a one deal. I don't think just putting on micronutrients is going to be the answer either. We have to do everything correctly in order to make it work. Again, we talked about this with magnesium, but if we put sulfur on high mag soils, it will reduce the magnesium provided what? <laughs> now we're tying in all three of your cations. It will reduce the magnesium if there is sufficient calcium present. So what does that mean? We got to have the amount of available calcium. It's not about pH. pH is important. Don't get me wrong, but we have to have the right amount of calcium present in order to be able to drive some of that mag out by using the sulfur. 
If we don't have the adequate amount of calcium, the sulfur will not work for that. Again, these three are very important for soil structure, all of them. And we just got to make sure that we're doing the right thing over and over and over again. And that is taking care of our soil so that it can take care of us. He also writes that the use of ammonium sulfate when the calcium saturation is above 60% means taking out magnesium at the same time and the better control of any excesses. Guys, that, that excess mag, we know, what does it do? It causes a tightness in the soil. It can overwhelm potassium, so potassium doesn't go in right. And therefore, we don't want to have that. We want to make darn sure that we're doing the right thing and getting the right amount of calcium in there so we can drive out that extra mag so that we can make that soil more of our friends. Just a little fact here. If we look at corn making 150 bushels, that corn will contain 42 pounds of calcium. 44 pounds of magnesium and 25 pounds of sulfur. And so it's always interesting to me that we need a whole bunch of sulfur product to get it in there. Actually, sulfur needs to go in at about the same rate as phosphorus does. Not that it has to do with this, but just as a little no charge extra for this tip. He talks about the fact that as we start looking at alfalfa, eight tons of alfalfa takes 440 pounds potassium. Guys, that's a big deal. And corn crops to grow 250 plus bushel of corn are going to take uptake over 450 pounds of K. That's well documented at the University of Nebraska. And so we just, you know, how are we going to get that K in there? We're going to have the mag levels down where we need them. How are we going to get the mag levels down? We're going to put in the right amount of calcium and make sure we have sulfur. That's going to take care of a lot of things to make everything healthier and happier. And the main thing that's going to be happier is you and your banker. The fact that sulfate is needed for growing plants just as badly, and in some cases more than phosphate, yet farmers will apply much more phosphate than sulfate. Furthermore, phosphate is much more stable than sulfate in the soil. When the two compete for absorption, sulfate is the loser, especially when phosphate levels are very high. Consequently, soils that are high in phosphorus or on the receiving end of high rates of phosphorus fertilizer will need more sulfur to produce as they should. It's really important to understand when you get those P levels up there, we see those 50, 60, 80, 90 P1 levels. We can't be getting by on minimum wage sulfur. That 17 parts per million is not gonna cut it. We're gonna have to do better. You guys will not get your money's worth for all the phosphate that you apply if you don't have enough sulfur. Again, what does sulfur do? Well, when present adequate amounts, number one, it helps your seedlings survive in cool, moist soils. How many of us plant early? all of us. We just absolutely do. And if we have cool, moist soils, then we're going to make a big difference by having the adequate amounts of sulfur in there. Early planted crops like cotton and corn and for conservation tillage fields, adequate sulfur helps provide more rapid root development during the early periods of growth. Neil says that he has seen 50% more root development in the same fields where they had adequate sulfate on wheat and where they didn't. Guys, 50% root development changes the game. It makes our life a whole lot better when we can do that. And I just want to continue to talk about why we need to do that. Again, sulfur occurs in the soil in the sulfate ion. The major source for this is humus, organic matter. Thus, the higher your organic matter, the less likely to need as much sulfur. The humus level and its rate of increase or destruction is an index to sulfur availability. If your organic matter is falling, your sulfur availability is falling too. The bottom line never changes. 
Overuse of nitrogen will burn out the humus and will equally destroy the sulfur storage system. Heavy use of nitrogen to cover firm sulfur will translate into less humus, ergo less sulfur to sustain future crop production. That's why when we overuse nitrogen, we set it up like methamphetamine. What you did to get the job today won't do it tomorrow and you got to put on more. And so we've got to make sure that we're doing the right things with every nutrient and not overusing something. The time of overusing is well past. Guys, for some of you, you're fighting that high pH soil. So what happens? Well, you sometimes have a hard time getting any available iron. Sulfur helps increase the iron availability. So let us say to that point that low iron on the soil test is being offset by enough available iron from the use of sulfur and the present iron level in the subsoil. Adding lime will always reduce the availability of iron. So the lime applied will have an adverse effect on the iron in the plants and there has to use it present and that will result in your iron deficiency. So what do we got to do? We got to make sure we put on enough sulfur with it. The other thing that happens in those high pHs oftentimes is the manganese level is higher than the iron and we know that's got to be the other way around. Now, it should only be about 1.5 iron to one part manganese and the way we're going to get that done in those higher pHs is we're going to put on some ammonium sulfate would be my first choice. Guys, you may never talk to us. You may never use anything that we have and that's fine. We don't do this for that reason. We're just trying to bring some information out here to make people think. That's it. We only want to make people think. And as they start that thinking process, I'd like you to think about applying some ammonium sulfate on your high pH soils. Why? Because I think it will make you money. I do not sell ammonium sulfate, but I believe firmly that ammonium sulfate is your friend and that it will make you money. So I would encourage you, try a half of an 80. Try a half of 160. Take a quarter section, split it. Use ammonium sulfate on part of it, not on the other, and see what you get. In addition, low sulfur levels can cause less manganese to be available to the crop also, and therefore a very high organic matter, 6% above, with or very low organic, less than 2%, can restrict your manganese availability. So as we start looking at the other end of the spectrum on pH, we have to be careful to make sure that we're doing the right thing to get that manganese to be available too. We've watched manganese levels plummet throughout the United States. Guys, we enjoy doing these. I know we've dropped a couple podcasts here lately that are really good, but we love what we do and we would love to help you if there's any way that we can. I hope the holiday season finds you doing quite well. We're going to take the uh, evening here and maybe do something along those lines if time works out. I hope you're sporting your best Christmas shirt. I hope you do keep on believing, guys. Don't stop. Hope you guys really are having a better day. You're listening on the Verbal Crowd Network. Find more great shows at verbalcrowd.com.